Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to episode 53 of Strangers in a Cinema. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here with my co-host Pete Wall and our producer Jack Mills. Hello chaps, how are we? Alright Paul, uh, yeah, doing very well. How about you Jack? Yeah, not too shabby, just pretty knackered. Um, so this should be quite good <laughs> firing on all cylinders yeah. for a new episode of yeah, the show absolutely now uh, new listeners to the show for your information we have a bit of a format on this here show which runs from well it's in the stages of the cinema isn't it Paul yes um, I mean we do we have, we've started to play a little bit faster and loose with it from, from on a week by week basis but generally yes it is, it is structured around a trip to the cinema yeah. and with that in mind this week we're going to go from the first section of sh- the show will be in the foyer a section in which we discuss something pressing from the world of film then we go up to the pop Popcorn counter and dive into some short form film reviews of the films that Paul and I have been watching in the last sort of seven days. So One- just to just to clarify that on that, that that can be anything really. Absolutely, uh, that anything, can be anything yeah. we've watched. It's not necessarily it's, well. It's certainly in my case this week, certainly not new films. Uh, certainly doesn't have to be new films. Anything that we've watched over the past week that takes our interest really within reason. It, it's got to be about, yes. you know suitable for the for the show. Well, yeah, I don't watch those kind of films, Pete. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what you're referring to. But. Uh, we get we get from that section into well, in the past we've got to a coming attraction section where we preview films. That will be coming back, but we won't be having that section included in this week's show. Right, Paul. Like we're going to introduce I mean, that slowly. I then. think we'll, we'll we'll bring that back and then probably take it away again at some point and then bring it back again. But you know, we we kind of we blow hot and cold as to whether we like that section or not. I think what we may do with it, and we may as well talk about what we're doing with it now. I think what we might we may be a bit more strict with how we do it, insofar as the trailers we talk about have to have been released in the week between podcasts which gives us a bit more structure yeah when there's that buzz it, around yeah. new new trailers dropping and people have all got access at the same time on YouTube and stuff like that then that seems like the right time but yeah that'll come in due course yeah for this well, week, week probably. yeah we'll, we'll get into um, the meat of the show the features section in which we're going to do a double review this week we've got Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets oh, from hooray. director Luc Besson <laughs> and then we've also got Girls Trip not girls' trip. Uh, the new ensemble. Could have an English teacher in the house for this, but I think it so, is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the new uh, ensemble comedy film starring, amongst others, Jada Pinkett Smith and Tiffany Haddish. Um, finally, we'll close out the show by just giving you ways in which you can get in touch with us and let us know your thoughts on the show and give your feedback and that kind of stuff. But for now, Paul, let's jump right into the foyer. What let's, have we got? Let's jump into the foyer without a doubt. Um, this week in the foyer, we have the I think. For me, anyway, at least, Pete, the surprising, well, not surprising return to filmmaking of Darren Aronofsky, because I assumed he would be back at some point. But um, perhaps the surprise that he's got a new film coming out, and then it is coming out in seemingly in the next within the next month or yeah. so. Seventeenth um, of September, Paul. Seventeenth of September, UK national release. Sorry if you're if you're abroad. I think the American release is going to be about the same time, but I can't guarantee that. You have to check so for yourself. So this is Mother, isn't it, or mo- Mother? Lowercase Mother. Yes. Lowercase, not a capital M. Lowercase okay. with an exclamation mark. That's very important so if you go to buy a ticket you do have to say I would like a ticket to mother <laughs> otherwise they won't understand what it is that you're talking about or you could of course be talking about the Park Chanuk film um, I am so excited about this I would say Paul I think I referenced Aronofsky, Aronofsky when we were talking about Chris Nolan the last couple of weeks with Dunkirk as maybe to me the director that I lean towards uh, when I'm leaning away from Chris Nolan perhaps yeah I just think that Darren Aronofsky is one of the greatest working film directors that we are lucky enough to have 
And if we just look at the back catalogue of this guy, it blows you away. The feature debut in his late 20s, Pi, followed by Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, The Wrestler, Black Swan, uh, Noah, a bit divisive, and then this I one, really, I, Mother. I, I stand by Noah. I really like it. That's a controversial viewpoint. But I, I yeah. Jennifer I, Connelly's tear ducts are in it, dude. So I'm not going to argue well, with you very, too hard. That's very true. No, I, I completely agree. He is. He's certainly one of certainly one of my favourite filmmakers. I think, and certainly one of the most interesting filmmakers' work. And I'd say maybe the wrestler and Black Swan quite similar in a way, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. Neither neither bad films by any stretch. So I just think it's for me. It's. It's all. I, I say it's almost nice. It is very nice that a, a filmmaker with the reputation of Aronofsky can just suddenly reappear on the scene, and you go, "Oh, here's a new film," and no one seemed to know about it. It's quite nice that you can still, in the day and age of the internet and the twenty-four hour news cycle, and you know, weekly podcasts existing, uh, that you can sneak things under the radar, seemingly sneak things under the radar of people. I like that a lot. So. Don't sleep on Aron- Aronofsky, you guys, the David Arquette-looking motherfucker, because uh, <laughs> you mentioned, Paul, this new film, and we should talk a little bit about the fact that we've seen the trailers of Mother, right? And everybody else listening to this can do the same. Jennifer Lawrence is the star. Yes. She's in a nightdress. Which I mean, is not fine. Gonna, yep. That's not going to not sell the film, is it? <laughs> um, and the tagline here is... God help you, I believe. Man, it's a little teaser trailer. Like this thing ran, what, like 30 seconds, maybe. It's all very gothic looking, um, sort of low lighting, uh, creepy, frightening at times. I I couldn't be more in on this. I think what I'm going to do, and we've talked about trailers before on this show, is actually, because it's so close, I'm going to do my best to avoid the full trailer for it. Because I think the little 30 second skit or teaser that you get is enough for me to go okay that shows enough about the film to show that I want to see it it sets it up it kind of you kind of you don't it gives it sets enough of the mood to go yes I want to see that film I'm interested I think I'm going to try and avoid the longer trailer yeah and I mean you said Paul as well about the comparisons between a couple of his films and like Aaron do you think Aaron Aronofsky I can't say his name that doesn't help do this bit does it Um, do you think that he has what you would call like a discernible style like if someone had never seen any of his stuff how would you describe his his filmmaking he's a fairly dark filmmaker I would say um because I think I'd say deals with the. I mean, there's there's more obvious there's obvious examples of him dealing with with upset with addiction, uh, requiem for a dream. But then I would say, but then Pi's about addiction as yeah, well. Yeah, but then Black Swan, the Black Swan and the Wrestler. Well. So addiction maybe. So yeah. Black Swan and the Wrestler again, addiction to fame and 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 fame and fortune. Fame and fortune. I'm with you, man. I'm yeah. with you, man. I think yeah, addiction central theme. Um, and I also think he's kind of a horror film director. I would say so. Yeah, I right. think anyone for me, anyone that kind of plays with your mind or makes you feel uncomfortable um, is as much a horror filmmaker as say a more obvious horror filmmaker. One doesn't say Toby yeah. Hooper or someone like that, doesn't it? So, you, you know. I mean, you've got like mental unraveling and the horrors of sort of mental instability in Pi and in Requiem for, Requiem for a Dream, and then you've got sort of the horrors of aging and former greatness in something yeah. like The Wrestler. You've got the horrors of competition in Black Swan. Yeah. I mean, and on and on, and then the horrors of you know the impending flood in in Noah. The so, horrors of most people's experience watching Noah in Noah. And now, so maybe <laughs> this is what you know. This makes perfect sense in a way that we've built towards this new film which seems to be as I can as much as I can tell possibly from the most seconds, overt horror yeah, film an overt made, yeah. psychological horror film possibly we'll, we'll wait and yeah. see I guess but yeah, yeah so excited about this I'm so excited for us to do the review and it's only going to be like a month away so you know make sure you're here to, to we might review it Pete, I think to be honest I think there's a, there's a good chance it might get a feature it's not going to be a popcorn review Paul <laughs> yeah. let's put it that way okay well after this we'll be back with popcorn reviews
So, popcorn movies. Uh, this is the section where we approach the popcorn counter, as we said. We reach in, we grab something out of the popcorn counter that we've watched in the week. Um, Pete, I've just spoken, so you may go first. Okay, I, I've got two to do this week, and I, I'm not going to do that one first because it's too emotional. I'm going to say okay. for a second. I'm just so, going to say you either sounded a little bit bored or upset then. It's just no, something breathes something no, over you. But. I, I, might, I might shed my first on-air tear on this uh, this episode. But uh, first of all, I will get to Olivier Assayas' film, uh, Something in There. We've been rattling on about Olivier Assayas for a bit because of uh, Personal Shopper very recently and before that, Clouds of Sills Maria, both of which were sort of on our radar and uh, we, we liked a lot. This one is from 2012, so a few years back. Originally titled Après Mai. Um, it's the story of uh, the sort of cultural and political revolution in 1970s France. Um, yeah, it, this film, as I understand, is, is semi-biographical in charting roughly the youth and sort of coming of age of the director himself. Okay. Um, it's, it's a funny film to review, Paul, because I'm completely on board with the director as you know already yeah um it it's kind of meandering it's a bit shambolic at times but it feels imbued with so much passion from perhaps personal connection and personal experience that it's still definitely to be recommended you get this like intoxication of the age you get you know the endless cigarette smoking the endless kind of coupling and uncoupling and intercoupling between these young people you get like all of this um vitality and like vivacity of young people who've got so much more on their minds than i think a lot of teenagers do these days i mean these guys are like 16 17 18 19 years old and they're concerned with political revolution they're throwing molotov cocktails in the street but they're also then uh holding up in some grubby place to pursue their artwork, for example. Um, the central character... So you, you say that, though, but then a lot of the criticisms... Of, I've, I've read some criticisms of Personal Shopper, which upset me that people criticised the film because I loved it. But I would... You know, there is there is an argument, say, in places that's shambolic. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it, it is a bit of a mess and that's yeah, part, of the, part of its charm uh, for me. I but. use the word shambolic to describe this film. I think with Personal Shopper, or maybe to, like, glue the two references together... There's something more like uh, ethereal and kind of drifting yeah. about not only the, the content of the film, but sort of the direction as well. Because Clouds of Sills Maria, you have literally a cloud drifting onto the screen right, okay. and being sort of metaphoric in its own right. And then in Personal Shopper, you have the central Kristen Stewart character yeah. kind of drifting through her own existence, haunted by the spectre that sort of drifts in and out of her experience, which is her possibly her dead brother, yeah. as we've discussed before. And in this one, yeah, although there's all this political action and there's all this sort of violence and like uh, sexuality and stuff on display the way that the director chooses to sort of piece incidents together is the thing that I'm calling like a little bit sort of right, shambling yeah, right? yeah. it's, like yeah. it's like a kind of patchwork quilt yeah. that is like full of cigarette smoke and kind of like sweaty kissing and stuff that sounds disgusting yeah. it? it's yeah. a lot better than that sounds, sounds. Like, that sounds like a liquid nightclub in Basingstoke from, uh, from my youth to be honest. <laughs> I don't know if it has that much in common with liquid nightclub in Basingstoke but yeah um, obviously in a film like this there are absolutely gorgeous young people on camera a lot of the time um, but it's not like salacious in any way yeah it's an experience and it makes me almost pine to have had a youth that in some ways had more in common with the characters here like to be driven a little bit more to be 
are passionate about whatever it is that that you know drives you personally and i think we so often get sort of like blasé and like ironic in the modern world about those kinds of concerns or we like roll our eyes at things mm. Olivier Sayas doesn't do that. His characters, by and large, don't do that. It doesn't mean they're all happy all of the time. It doesn't mean they really know what they're doing or it doesn't mean they're necessarily making good choices. But, yeah, th- there's a lot to enjoy here. It's not my favourite of his films, but there's definitely a lot to enjoy. Yeah. That, that one is uh, Something in the Air from 2012. Good. Right, which brings me to my first popcorn movie. Um, this is, and bear with me for the long title, sorry, listeners, but this is the full title of the film. Uh, this is Mark Hartley's 2014 documentary, um, snappily titled Electric Boogaloo, uh, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. Um, so the core premise of this is it focuses on Canon Films, um, who massive production company throughout the 1980s. I remember them, in fact, owning a number of cinemas in the UK, and there was a bit second link to Basingstoke today. One of the first cinemas I grew up was, in fact, a Canon cinema in Basingstoke. Um, and Canon Films were run by, I think they were cousins, called Menahem Golan and Yoram Globus. Um, they were Israeli guys. Uh, and they basically made um, trashy kind of exploitation kind of kind of films, I suppose. Um, and then broke into, broke into the US market. They produced things like um, Missing in Action, Invasion USA, the American Ninja series... You're looking um, at me like I will know what. I know. I'm looking at you like you know what they are. Blank. So, you know, Total not, blank. Like, quite a lot of quite a lot of the absolute toss that I buy on Blu-ray. <laughs> that are, and uh, you know, it's it's no coincidence that Arrow Video have put out quite so, a number of their so films. This so this is right in your so ballpark. Is, yeah. So yeah, this is about these guys, and this is about them, and just how bonkers they were, and how much money they spent on on these films. That some of them hit big, some of them didn't. They were so quick to produce films. It's a fascinating insight into Hollywood at that time. They, but it turns out that they made. They made films with Jean-Luc Godard. They, they worked with a number of directors. They're responsible for Superman 4. They're responsible for Masters of the Universe. So those films, they thought Superman 4 would save them. And then everyone, you know, Superman 4 is an unmitigated disaster. Masters of the Universe, again, they thought it, they thought it would save them. Again, it was terrible. But, they, you know, these films these films have a cult following. And there's there's a series of films that, um, unfortunately, Pete, I will be talking about the podcast called The Ninja Trilogy. Yeah, uh, Starting with a film called Enter the Ninja and then going on and it's just is that that Diampvo uh, is there a connect no there's not no carry on not. but um, yeah so it's, it's just basically these, these crazy Israeli guys um, that poured their heart and soul into making films that, and, and like when you see them in interview they're like oh the next one will win an Oscar this one will win an Oscar then they so they funded Death Wish and then all, all the Death Wish sequels for example so they pick up a franchise and then just make countless sequels to it <laughs> so if you've got any sort of any part even a passing interest in or in film in general really to be honest it's quite interesting to see um, we, we've see talked about done. like between the right. two of us Paul we've talked about a few different documentaries recently and you know like the craft of putting together something that delivers its information you yeah. know, in an engaging way do you think this succeeded in yes. structurally as a documentary I think, it, well? I think it's great yeah sorry do, yeah it's, I think it's a great documentary I think it works really really well they've got they don't have access to uh, Menahem Golan and Euron Globus, unfortunately, because what they've done, <laughs> what they did, is much like they did in the 80s when they've got, oh, here's a successful film, we'll make a cheap knockoff of it. What they actually did, they were invited to come on this documentary and then made their own one about themselves quicker than this documentary came out, which I thought was, <laughs> which I thought was amazing. It's a lovely little catch Which I haven't seen yet, but I, I, I will probably catch up with that at some point. But I thought, that's great, and it just sums them up. No, I think... 
I think it's yeah, it does. I think it's it's an exhaustive look into it on the, which I didn't realise because someone did lend me the Blu-ray on the Blu-ray itself is is eighty-eight is a solid eighty-eight minutes of trailers for their films, which wow. I would love to have sat down and watched because some of the films certainly some of the films talked about here certainly will probably make for better trailers and films. But no, it's obviously from a critical perspective, I suppose for want of a better word. Um, it's put together, but the director Mark Hartley clearly has a love for cult cinema, and, and that comes across. He is, you know, he has uh, as much as not all of the films are of the highest caliber. So certainly, by a long shot, in some some of the cases, he certainly got a respect for filmmaking and is definitely definitely passionate. And as I said, you know, it's it's an entertaining and very well put together documentary that I would say, and any whether you're into cult cinema or not, I think it's, it's a fantastic piece. It's a fantastic documentary about film, which is always going to win me over. To be fair, so. Yeah, that's uh, Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of Canon Films. Cool. Um, second for me, yeah, I'll try to hold back tears as I do this review, but man, this one punched me right in the gut. It is a documentary by the name of Etre et Avoir, or uh, To Be and To Have, um, the English title, from documentary maker Nicholas Philibert. Do you guys know about this film? Have you Not heard about this never, film? Never. Until you mentioned it the other day, and I hadn't. Okay. You know. So it's one, I think, probably prompted by, by my parents, who are French teachers. They've sort of talked about it a little bit in the past, and I, I've been aware of its existence, but it's been out now for 15 years. It was released in, in 2002, and I've never got round to, to watching it. This, I, I don't know what I've been wasting my time doing, to be honest, because this is, like, you're talking about canon movies and, like, how much that's in your ballpark. Like, mm. this is a film about education primarily I guess or superficially about education but it's also absolutely a film about father figures and guidance and growing up the documentary central premise is pretty simple we follow a school teacher uh, the guy is called uh, Sergi Lopez I think Uh, Serge Lopez perhaps Um, the Originally, I think his, his father's Portuguese, maybe his mother's French, but he's settled in this small community in France where he is the schoolmaster, school teacher for a single room school where he has to teach a class often of like mixed age and mixed ability. And my background is in education and working in sort of various education environments. So I have so much sympathy from mm. the get-go with this guy having to spin all these plates and, like, juggle this situation yeah. of, like, different... From sort of kindergarten age up to, like, t- 10, 11-year-old kids who are developing really, really fast. But what touched me so much about this documentary is, like, the way that the guy has invested his whole being into educating these kids these like little chats that they have sat around where there's no talking down he's talking across there's something in in teaching and sorry if this is like too much inside baseball or whatever but about being about teaching yeah yeah i I listen to too many sports shows paul (laughs) that's that's where that language comes from but but the idea that like to really communicate with a young student and jack i mean you'd know about this too you need to get down to eye level Right, and you see these like amazing scenes where he's delivering information. Just to clarify, that's not again because Jack's because Jack's school. Jack is actually uh, a teaching assistant. I love how you have to clarify. Just to clarify, I don't know why I've just gotten onto this terrible joke. I apologise, but yeah. (laughs) But but yeah, it's like he's talking to his students as as kind of equals of sorts because they're you know human beings, and also like he's always talking to them about future consequence. It's almost like. 
he's forming, helping to form that sort of prefrontal cortex in, a, in an emerging, growing human being that allows you to uh, predict somewhat or, or envisage the consequences of your actions and possible futures, right? Yeah. The successful development of that area of the brain, of course, is going to be a real counter to future onsets of things like um, anxiety and depression. So, like, this stuff goes deep. Mm. And there's certain sequences in it. One in particular that, that sticks out for me where he talks to a boy who's probably nine or ten years old and he's um, his father's very sick with a form of cancer and the way that he has like the humanity to talk to him about this life or death issue with a very matter of fact but not like cold or emotionless or harsh tone is just so was so touching to me that this film felt like the kind of thing you want to shout from the rooftops and tell everybody to watch because there were I'm not afraid to say this like I'm not the kind of guy who worries about saying things like this there are a couple of moments in this film where it wasn't just that I cried a little bit in this film it was like my body was shaking with the emotion of, of, of to have a, a little so, bit a little bit like me at the end of Dark Knight Rises when I thought Batman had died <laughs> but perhaps perhaps yeah I wasn't there to witness that firsthand but I can only imagine um, it also just to shoot horn this in um, the title of this film is, is to be and to have and I've just said to have or to be and the reason I have is because the author Eric Fromm who is someone that I also champion strongly deals with a lot of the issues that maybe are touched upon by the film so it's a double recommendation Okay. one Etre Avoir the film itself where did you find this is this on uh, this one oh I got it from Love Film Delivery which I've started oh, okay. using now yes. bit of a plug yes. for that okay. really, really really good and all of the director's other stuff seems to be available there too so I'm going to go back and you know have cool. a look at what okay. else he's done that look that sounds that sound, to be fair you've, you've sold it to me so so in English yeah, yeah. to be and to have um, is the name of that one Paul what sounds good okay so I'm going to go for I say a bit of a shameful omission really and then as I was watching this film I realised I have seen it before but I must have been about 9 or 10 years old uh, this is The Wizard of Oz uh, Victor Fleming's 1939 uh, adaptation um, yeah so as an adult I hadn't I haven't seen this film to be honest and I thought it was kind of basically it's like coming at it like a new film um, I thought it was great um, just just I, I get out of the way I, you know I wasn't sure whether I'd relate to it as an adult I do song certain twee songs in certain films do tend to do tend to not have tended in the past to kind of not be my bag really but as I've got a little bit older I've got a bit more understanding and can kind of appreciate appreciate them a bit more Um I just think that it was, yeah, I said it's, it's boundlessly creative. Um, the artistry involved in it, I think it still looks great today. Not in not in terms of you're going to look at it. You will look at it and spot its age, don't get me wrong. That's not that, But that's not to say that like the art design and, and the way it's done is fantastic. The drop into Technicolor uh, when she arrives in Oz must have blown people's minds. And uh, I was listening to... I was listening to another podcast earlier today about about Suspiria, uh, and they were saying these, those guys were saying about perhaps you need to remember Suspiria in the context of the nineteen seventies before you judge it as a film of today. And I'm like, yeah, so Wizard of Oz is kind of the same. So I was watching certain bits in Wizard of Oz, and I was just like, fuck me! Like it was like for me, I can imagine it's like for, for those guys in nineteen thirty nine when it came out, it would have been like us sitting in the cinema in nineteen ninety nine watching The Matrix for the first time. Like the way the film looks is just fantastic, and uh, yeah, and the the energy the energy about the thing is, is great. It just it just bristles with energy. Um, the songs for the most part are enjoyable. Some of the Munchkins, I mean, like you do want to reach in and kind of and kind of punch them in the face. Um, 
And it's just the other... You've softened over time, haven't you, Paul? Uh, you want to yeah, punch, yeah. punch a munchkin? Yeah. That's the soft oh, level that you're operating punch, on now. A punchkin, perhaps. No, <laughs> punchkin. never mind. Uh, yeah. um, it's, and also, it's, it's mental. It's just, it's just such a crazy film. Like, I hadn't, this is something that hadn't stuck with me at all. There's flying monkeys, like the actual, the first time you see Oz the Great and Powerful is like this, this green floating head thing that is that genuinely quite scary. And the flying monkey scenes are scary, actually. I think, and again, if you if you put it into the context of its time, I mean, like this morning, I watched um, I watched the Marx Brothers film from nineteen thirty two. Oh, get you! And they, no, that's not on. That's not on getting. <laughs> I've, I've become your student now, haven't I? I've become, um, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, so I watched the Marx Brothers film from nineteen thirty two, and you look at in a decade how much filmmaking had come on, and it just shows again in the context of its time, Wizard of Oz must have been mind blowing. It's still fantastic today. It does. If it's got a slight fault, it is in a massive rush to tie to tie things up at the end. I think, um, and starts to make even less sense than it made at the beginning. But it's a minor gripe, and it entirely deserves its reputation. On any subconscious level, do you think you watched this because I called Chris Nolan the Tin Man film director the other week? Do you think that's just wheedled its way into your subconscious, and that's led to this choice, or have I just got a really high opinion of myself? Um, well, both of those things are true. Um, <laughs> But no, the reason I watched it is because I found a limited edition box set on eBay that was ninety pound, and I thought I can't have the box set and then not watch the film. Yeah, true. Um, that's the other reason. But yeah, no, definitely your thing, Pete. Definitely your <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, so that's that's us out of popcorn movies, I think, unless I'm otherwise mistaken. Wow. Uh, no, it's yeah. not. It's not because Jack <laughs> yeah, has been so quiet this week. We've uh-huh. almost we've almost been forgotten his presence. So, to, uh, Jack, we sent you two films for homework, didn't we? Um, did, we yeah. said, and you haven't got to them both. In fairness, you've been away with work, and that's fine. That's and this true. leaves you one for next week. Um, which one have you seen, Jack? Out of the two, so it was Patterson and Personal Shopper, I think. So I chose to watch Patterson. Uh, I had a few hours last night to watch it. Um, and the premise of the film is... So you picked Pete's choice over yeah, my choice. I did. Winner. That, well, I'm yeah. the de facto winner. Oh, I didn't think about <laughs> that. No. You did think that, yeah. So, um, yeah, cheers. Patterson <laughs> is uh, quite a lovely story. I thought it's it's very sort of down to earth in the fact that it's about a bus driver who writes poems and the whole relationship with him and his girlfriend and all the people in the town of Patterson, which is in New Jersey, I believe. Um, really what I put was I just love the simplicity of the film uh, the story was heartwarming 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 it wormed right <laughs> yeah it did I like absolutely. that absolutely nice it it's a bit heartwarming yeah. sounds like it might be dead but <laughs> you, heard it, you heard it here first um, absolutely um, and I just enjoyed it because it expressed sort of a life of love relationships and everyday occurrences like going to the bar listening to people's conversations on the street and trying to be a good person yeah and trying to be a good person Uh, and yeah that really worked for me and the fact that he was writing poetry and you saw saw him scribble and they presented it on the screen do you see what I mean? think we we both said this when we reviewed it initially it's the kind of film that could have been so hipster and trite like it really could have been like so so cliched and I'm doing bunny ears here listening yeah. <laughs> so just like a cliched Sundance piece this could have been right. 500 days of Patterson right? yes yeah, that, yeah. that's yeah, the kind absolutely. of thing yeah that, yeah, that, kind, of, that kind of thing and, and it wasn't So, which I was, think another yeah. thing for me as well was the whole quirkiness of um, Adam Driver's girlfriend um, in the film yeah and like quirky I think in, in a good way as well because like quirky yeah. sounds like such a dirty word when you apply yes. it to characters in films right? well that's but, understandable with certain quirky bunny ears again yeah. uh, quirky film <laughs> characters um yeah, no, I liked. It. I think all the characters for me, all the characters in it were believable. Like they, you know, they could they could have existed. They weren't they weren't kind of overwrought. They weren't overplayed. 
Um, yeah, I know, yeah, I, I like Patterson a lot. Have yeah. you have you seen much else of Jim Jarmusch's? I haven't stuff? actually. Ghost but Dog. I think after watching that, I think Ghost, yeah, Ghost, Ghost Dog, Dog might be a really good It'll be really completely. Good it's a completely really? different film to oh, Patterson. Right, okay. Yeah, but there's a lot in common yeah, yeah. with Patterson. Yeah, that's, yeah, no, that's well. true. Yeah, good. yeah. No, Ghost Dog: Way of the Samurai. That's a. Uh, that's where to look next, but that may that would make that a future homework after he's got his personal shopper. Yeah, because sure. you're not winning this by you're not winning this by no. default, Pete. No, I know we'll watch personal shopper. <laughs> well, and Jack will never be out of the house if we just keep no, piling yeah. on homework <laughs> yeah, yeah. after homework. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would enjoy that though. Yeah. I think uh, a final note um, from Patterson is um, the highlight was probably the cameo from Method Man. Yeah, when he's just rapping. The highlight is Patterson's dog, man. And the dog, the yeah. American bulldog. Well, yeah. the dog English and bulldog. the Method Man cameo actually are kind of tied with each other. Aren't yeah, they, they are absolutely. And his reactions to the conversations on the bus, I think, worked really well for me. Nice. Good. So yeah. Right, that's that's out of popcorn movies. But we'll be back after this with feature reviews. And as promised, we are back with. Uh, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets which is Luke Besson's latest effort Pete it is set this up for us indeed yeah director Luke Besson most people will know from uh, Leon the Professional uh, The Fifth Element of course and more recently Lucy with uh, not Lucy Scarlett Johansson yeah yeah that's a conversation for another day it is I, I know what you're saying I think that there's still really cool Luke Besson stuff in it I love Luke Besson was one of my favourite directors of as certainly growing up was one of my favourite directors so I'm, I'm on board with him so, so the, yeah. this one is based on a comic book series I believe called Valerian and Lorelei which inspired sort of a generation of artists but most importantly inspired Luc Besson because as I understand it he used to read uh, the installations of this comic book what would you call that like the, the new editions I don't know you're a comic book guy more than me the issues. New, new issues. Yeah, yeah. it's a simpler yeah. term. Yeah. Uh, the new issues of the comic book. Every, I think, week after he finished his homework, he was allowed to keep up with these adventures, intergalactic adventures. And he had this sort of sitting on his back shelf or like on the back burner for the duration, really, of his uh, growing film career and sort of fame and prominence and stuff like that and even to the extent that I think when he was making The Fifth Element there were people saying to him why are you making this why aren't you making that mm. because that's like your passion project finally Luc Besson's got to the level where somebody will give you 210 million dollars and you can just go ahead and make the damn thing so now we get um, this film which focuses on yeah these two characters Valerian and Lorelai played by uh, Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne who are kind of um, not only interplanetary Travelers, but sort of interdimensional travelers in a world that exists in the future where there is the ability to carry, uh, to travel, I should say, between planes of existence, right? Is that a, a decent enough explanation think, of that? Yeah, I'll yeah. give you that. Yeah. D- different realities yeah. existing in the same sort of spatial yeah. area. Um, they set out on a quest um, that takes them to various locations. Sorry, yes, I just remember the scene you're talking about. Yeah. Yes, you are absolutely correct. I do apologise. Key, yes. key amongst them is the uh, sort of title City of a Thousand Planets, which sounds like a bizarre title to, I think, most people. But it turns out that all of these sort of 200 or so different species have representation on one giant teeming sort of future. Well, I think the, future the kind of premises it started out community. was like the International Space Station. Yeah, and, then and it's up. grown and grown yeah. and grown and grown yeah. and grown. To the extent that, I don't know if you knew this, Paul, uh, just to set this thing up in the amount that Luke Besson has sort of poured his heart into this, he wrote a 600-page book 
about all the species that he had created that was compulsory reading for the entire cast before they started shooting so that they would know how to uh, interact in different ways depending on which species they're dealing with. That's interesting and I think we'll probably come back to that point <laughs> in, a, in a little while. Um, yeah, I should say finally that, that we kick off the film with this very like beautiful Avatar-esque sequence on the beach of a, a planet that that seems to revolve around people called pearls who harvest pearls and those pearls then are able to be multiplied by a creature that looks a bit like an aardvark. From there, Paul, let's dive into Valeri- Valerian and the City of a Thousand let's, Planets. But before we do that... Are you ready, listeners? This is going to be almost like magic. Oh, I'd almost forgotten. Yes, you had almost forgotten about this. So, are you ready for this? For the first time ever on Strangers in a Cinema, here's a clip. Here's a clip. This mission is a simple in and out. Agent Valerian, you'll be running solo. I only work with my partner. Hi. We're a team. You're running nearly 20 minutes late. Yeah, well, time flies when you're having fun. I've got a bad feeling about this. Good job, boys. Welcome to Alpha. The city of a thousand planets. So yeah, I think that, that kind of that kind of brief sort of thrown together of elements there should give you a, a kind of an idea of, of what to expect from this, the kind of scale of it. And uh, as Pete was saying, it is, you know, it's it's big budget stuff. It's Luke Besson's return to big budget sci-fi after the fifth element um and you mentioned pete the uh, the opening scene with with the pearls and the pearls and then the aardvark things um the aardvark's very significant Paul. and in the aardvark is very significant but you know without without basically recounting the, the the story of the film i think initially i was just like yes this opens up and it looks i'm gonna i'm gonna say this it looked fucking amazing like honestly i was like right Okay, I've read some slightly tepid reviews, but I'm going to go in. I love, I, I, hand on heart, I love Fifth Element. I think it's the best side space opera out this side of Star Wars, uh, and I absolutely adore Fifth Element. And I thought, was going into this, I was like, okay, the critics may be wrong. Luke Besson normally gets a hard time, and then I was initially the film opens up, and I was like, yes. I was proved right. This is going to be great. Oh, the the opening like it's fifteen so minutes, good. man! I I like told the you space this. Space station gets ejected from Earth's atmosphere, and then you see you see the city being built up, and you're just like, and the creativity is Luke Besson, as you said, Luke Besson wrote these these pages, and you're like, I haven't seen a sci-fi film this creative since The Fifth Element, in fact. And yeah. you know, the art design is very similar to that, and it looks great. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. And there's some aardvark-looking motherfuckers at the beginning of The Fifth Element as well. So there's obviously yes. a theme yeah. emerging <laughs> yeah. for, for yeah. Luke Besson, but. Yeah, uh, like, I told you this uh, off mic, Paul, and I'll say it again here, that I actually tapped my girlfriend on the shoulder when we were watching that sort of opening 10, 15 minutes and and just said to her, I love everything that's happening here. I completely agree with you. That's how in I was I was like, oh, yes, this is going to be awesome. And then a number of things happen. Uh, One of the things that happens is, unfortunately, Dane DeHaan opens his mouth. Um, And Dane DeHaan is an actor that I normally quite like uh, I've enjoyed him in Chronicle I even liked him in uh, Amazing Spider-Man um, as the Green Goblin um, and he's in, in a number of things that he's watched I thought Dane DeHaan's very cool he's, he's got a decent career but what's the him. problem that you have with him in the this problem film? I have with Dane DeHaan in this film is that for some unknown reason he's an actor of quite significant personality I think and for some unknown reason he's decided that the moment he opens his mouth he seems to be doing a piss poor Keanu Reeves impression now there's two problems I have with this. A, it's a 
Keanu Reeves doesn't do a Keanu Reeves impression. He doesn't mean to be like Keanu Reeves. He just is. So that's that's not something he's aimed for. And and it works for Keanu Reeves because of mainly because of how Keanu Reeves looks. Like John Wick, for example, he looks the part. Dane DeHaan does not look the part to be talking like an intergalactic badass, which would be fine. Which I suppose would be okay if he could act. If he was if he was acting well, it would be fine if he didn't look the part. So neither does he look the part. Nor is he an intergalactic badass. He's not. Unfortunately, he's not big built enough. And the voice that he just does, he's like, oh, yeah. and that's not a very good Keanu Reeves impression. But it's he's so monotone. Content, he's completely, yeah. His levels be all over the place, Jack. It's just, it's just this monotone brick of a performance that is just terrible throughout. I think you you text me afterwards said I just wanted to punch Dane DeHaan in the face. Yeah, I mean the, the thing is Paul, I think that one of those elements that you mentioned is key here. The, the, the fact fifth that, element perhaps. <laughs> I think the first element I don't know. <laughs> like the, the fact that Dane DeHaan to me has always sort of struck me as a character who looks a little bit like he's about to go into rehab because like his face is all a bit drawn and gaunt and pale and that plays really well if he's playing a sort of troubled in the right roles, yeah. character but yeah. like yeah as you say here he's supposed to be gallivanting around the universe sort of taking his girl under sort of his control and sort of talking down to the Cara Delevingne character a lot um, and, and you know being yeah the big big I am the big man and it just doesn't and it, fit also, yeah, that, it doesn't fit at all because he's supposed to be playing this ladies man and like Cara Delevingne's supposed to be interested in me like it's fucking Cara Delevingne like she would like the chances of like a, in, a, I say literally literally a supermodel because she is like looking twice at Dame DeHaan's character does just doesn't compute with me at all and talking of talking of Cara Delevingne I actually thought she was the best thing in this I I, gen, I I didn't eat, I thought maybe she'd be the weak link you know it's quite easy to judge a model going into acting but then Char, uh, Charlie's Theron did it in fairness uh, and did it as well. Angelina well, Jolie well, did it, and lots of other people have done yeah, that so, you know, so fairly well. Yeah. Well, Gal Gadot's done it recently, but that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of agree with you. I think Cara Delevingne is a decent actress. I don't think she's a great actress, and no. I think she's overstretched at times here. I think sometimes when it gets to the sort of supposedly or, or necessarily more emotional scenes, it's a bit of a struggle. And I think the, in combination as well, it is sometimes felt a bit flat because. Yeah, as you say, there's not a great deal of chemistry between the two of them naturally sort of occurring yeah, on the screen between none, between the actors. <laughs> but but also like it does start to come off a bit like this kind of um, I mentioned earlier, like eye rolly sort of modern day teenagers. It's a bit like sort of you know Instagram age eye rolly teenagers kind of going around the universe, but like not really being bothered yeah, about I, any bit. Like, are oh, the whole galaxy's a little bit meh? Yeah, like, that's what yeah, you get they, out they of are. They're, they're supposed to be these like sort of all conquering heroes, and like the, by that regard, you think they'd have some res- some respect for other like military types and that kind of thing. Um, talking a minute, pretty much all the performances in here are crap, to be honest. I mean, Clive Owen just oh. Clive Owen, Clive Owen's on uh, it. I mean, yeah, yeah like, I don't like Clive Owen very much as an actor anyway, but in this, yeah, he's the kind of... I mean, it's an interesting thing, though, isn't it, Paul? Because how much is this a bad performance and how much is it poor script writing and well, poor is, direction? Yeah, we'll come around to that. So it's not just the performances that, that we have issue with, to be honest. The story is, is almost non-existent. Um, and the fact he's written this, like, 600-page treatment about, about alien races, well, where's any of that in here? Well, um, yeah, I mean, though I would say, Paul, that, like, what he does do is there's this whole side kind of, not even quest, like, sidebar, where they meet the character played by Ethan Hawke, who is the pimp yes. to a transforming stripper, shape-shifting stripper played by Rihanna, who then, those sort of two, that pairing, leads the uh, two, well, Dane DeHaan and to get... Cara Delevingne's character into another situation that has almost nothing to do with the central pursuits of the yeah. film but it seems like um, the director here just wants to show off 
some of the creatures that he's created. Just yeah, puts no, I, them think, over I there. think basically, I just think I just think someone probably should have sat down with Luke Besson and gone, look, what do you want to make here? And I think the the the, the biggest problem with for me with with Valerian is just there's so many ideas here. And some of them are really good, and actually a number of them could have been a lot better. I just think there's and so many ideas, utterly beautiful. Yeah, as there's well. so many ideas just thrown into the mix that it's just, it's just come out with, ah ha ha! Look, I'm making Valerian. I'm so excited to have all this money to throw at my favourite comic book that he's completely forgotten about all the other elements. To be fair, and like you know, there's this whole the Rihanna dance scene where she's she's changing she's changing outfits as she dances. It looks amazing. Like the, the film looks amazing, but it has no context with what's going on in the rest of the film. There's so many and there's action scenes without context have no impact on you and there's scenes that you can sit there and go, I should be enjoying this but they're just flat like the scene in the market, like the cross dimensional market scene, is very cool and it looks amazing, but there's no I there's mean, no weight the, behind it. There's, no, there's no. There's you're nothing right. Behind it, I mean, the choreography of that sequence is astonishing. Yeah, and they're like pieces in isolation within Valerian are wonderful, and yeah. you can return to them and marvel at them. As a whole thing, this thing runs what like two plus hours. It drags and drags and drags towards the end. And honestly, and it's, I don't feel like pleased with myself sort of saying this because I like Luke Besson by and large, but this brought to mind like I don't know, Sean. Bean turning up and saying bees aren't like people they yeah. don't like like this feels very Jupiter ascending yeah, in it's kind yes, of un, un, uh, like where the, the reins have just like fallen off as you were saying and like the director has got this all this passion but maybe not the control to really hone I think that's, story. I think I've been th- I've been thinking about this for in the few days since I've watched it and I think that that is the problem he's just got so excited with a childhood project that he's just tried to throw so many ideas in the mix he's made it look amazing and it does look amazing um there's no arguing that and that kind of that saves it doesn't the trouble is it doesn't save it it was still boring um but yeah it's just too many ideas thrown into the mix and i just think with a bit more control and maybe someone else working with him on this um this it, it's frustrating because it starts as you said and it's it starts and you're like okay this is going to be great it's just for me, a massive missed opportunity and a big disappointment. Yeah, I mean, where does this loot leave Luke Besson? Because, I mean, $210 million... Well, he's is put the, a lot of his own money into it, I think, as well. Yeah, he's helped to create the financing. I think that is true. Um, still, it's going to lose money, judging by... I think the gross worldwide at the moment is something around the $40 million mark. Right. Off a budget Ooh. that size is a bit scary. Um, is it going to play on sort of home video like you know because something like Fifth Element didn't do great at the box office and then no. picked up steam later and got this kind of cult following I think there will be a cult following for this film I think there will but I wonder whether it's going to be big enough to sustain well you've already seen a five star review on Letterboxd haven't you so. I have indeed <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. some people have been really taken by it I mean whether it plays better in, in other markets where English is not the first language it could, you know the Chinese market is yeah. ginormous and important yeah, to Hollywood maybe, at the moment who, who knows but yeah the, the most expensive French production by I think double the previous mm. uh, high so yeah there's a lot of money on the screen um, if you enjoy that kind of thing check out Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets but yes. yeah I mean go in there maybe with a cautionary yeah. sort of bit of advice that, that this doesn't really hold together no well we'll be back after this with a review of Girls Trip So Girls Trip is not a film I outside of the podcast peak that I would never I could never have imagined me seeing this. I I just can't imagine of me going like it would be something that 
I just wouldn't have gone to. You almost look at the poster, right? Look at the poster and I've written it off. I was like, okay, Tyler Perry, not a filmmaker I've ever seen necessarily many of his films, but I look at I look at the quality and look at the reviews of a number of his films, and it's not actually him making the film, but it looks like that kind of Tyler Perry esque. Wow, (laughs) coming in hot there, Paul. But no, no, (laughs) No, I know know what you're saying. You know, you know where I'm coming from with this, and also like, and also I, you know, this whole this whole kind of like lads or ladies go away on a weekend piss up thing does doesn't really appeal, but. Um, yeah, I've, I've kind of spoiled your well, you're, bit of setting You're going to feel like a right fool when I tell you the calibre of director that's actually involved. Yes. Uh, Malcolm D. Lee is the director of this one. Uh, the, the genius behind Scary Movie 5. Uh, under- oh, really? Okay. Undercover Brother. Uh, Barbershop, The Next Cut. I've seen Undercover Brother. Uh, Roll, um, Roll Bounce. Soul Men. No. The be- I'm literally reading this off a screen, obviously, because I don't think I've seen a single one of these films. Uh, yeah, needless to say, I don't think he's produced anything quite like Girls Trip, but we'll get into that. This, uh, yeah, stress on the second word. Uh, that's important. No apostrophe. Uh, it follows four life... I'm trying. I've done it twice now. So yeah, It's I'm kind of unna- unnatural to say without sounding yeah. a bit off, isn't it? Uh, it follows four lifelong friends as they reunite in New Orleans for the annual Essence Festival. It's like this fictional celebration of strong African-American womanhood, basically. Uh, one of their party, uh, the Ryan character, played by Regina Hall, is booked as the keynote speaker who's going to kind of put together the, the cherry on the cake at the end of this whole thing. Um, she then gets together the... What are they called in this film? The Flossy Posse. The Flossy Posse. Flossy Posse. Well-remembered, Pete. Well-remembered. The Flossy Posse reunite... Um, and within that group is Queen Latifah, Tiffany Haddish and Jada Pinkett Smith. The festival offers the quartet of girls, women, I should say, the chance to reconnect with each other, their former sort of younger selves and maybe some uncomfortable home truths. Here's a clip. Today is the last day that we will ever be this young. I'm about to get pregnant tonight. You know I got some bomb ass cushion if you want to take a hit. Where did you hide? Where the sun don't shine. You're getting some this weekend. Straight up, you're going to get at least two dicks this weekend. For crying out loud, Dina, we only going to be there for three days. Well, three dicks then. So they not fucking in Guatemala? Yes, hunty, yes. Just get them when he starts smashing them organs up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like cobwebs off that thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, guys, because I can hear the clip in my headphones and I'm laughing now. Uh, so, uh, it, yes. Um, so the, the tone <laughs> of the film is probably set is probably set with that clip, to be honest. Yeah, a li- little bit um, of language in that clip, too. I mean, I think we've kind of set up for it by, Paul, weirdly, both of us have been a little bit more sweary than usual on this episode. So. I think I've probably sworn just as much yeah, but yes. Anyway, so there if you're is, easily yeah. offended, then maybe yes. this wasn't the episode um, for you. So, having said that, you know, having said this is not the kind of film I would normally go and see. I would also, I would also add that we, you know, myself and Pete probably aren't the target market for for this film either. In fairness, so I have to say, I so I went into this with with some trepidations. What a pleasant surprise this was. Um, I will say that it is, for the most part, it is pretty much the Tiffany had for me at least. Anyway, it was pretty much the Tiffany Haddish show. Which is fine. She's a comedian that I think we've we've talked about previously. She was in Keanu. I've seen her in Keanu, oh, I've seen her and in then we we talked about her on the, her performance on the Champs podcast. Was what I said. Yeah, I mean, in the Champs podcast. You're right to, to draw. We'll do a sidebar into Tiffany Haddish before going into the film. I think just briefly. But. Yeah, I mean, the the Champs thing was mentioned. I think um, a few episodes ago, and the reason for that is it's just like this astonishing turn. Not unlike the, if you're aware, the Richard Herring show where Stephen Fry was asked what it's like to be Stephen Fry and started with a sort of innocuous story and ended up talking about a suicide attempt. 
attempt that he hadn't revealed to anybody and it sort of got national press from there. Tiffany Haddish was on a podcast called The Chance. It's been discontinued now, um, hosted by uh, Moshe Kesher and Neil Brennan. Um, Neil Brennan is the co-creator of The Chappelle Show. And on in the sort of beginning chit-chat, small talk part of that show, she said to the host, Neil Brennan, I feel like you've always had a problem with me on the comedy scene. What's the deal with that? And he said, well, the thing is, sometimes you run the light. Meaning, when you do stand-up sets, you sometimes let your section run too long, and that's inconsiderate, and it's felt that that's kind of rude. You, you don't do that, right, on the comedy circuit. Tiffany Haddish then went on to try to defend herself and explain maybe her actions, and from nowhere came this kind of heart-wrenching yeah, story th- of, yeah, of... Just listen to it. Just seek, seek it out and listen to it. Yeah, without, where yeah. She, basically where she's come from will we'll sort of tear your heart out and at the same time she'll make you laugh all the way through. And, and when I first... I didn't see it, it's, a, it's an audio thing, but when I first sort of experienced that section, I went and looked up a load of her stand-up sets and I kind of read into her a bit more. This is going back, I don't know, a year or so. Um, and I just thought, this is a talent who needs some sort of place to break out and I think Girls Trip is that place right she's kind of the Zach galifianakis type character yeah, here, so she's given yeah. like a lot yeah. to chew on but she absolutely slays this film I think she I does think. yeah I think she does um, I think yeah for, for the most part the film going, going back to the film I think for the, the most part the film's a lot of fun. Its energy is is utterly contagious. I think it was great. It was you know like the, even the sets in New Orleans with the jazz trumpets and that kind of thing. You're happy for most of this film. You're you're with them. You're enjoying you're enjoying their reunion. Um, Haddish might steal the show. I think from uh, definitely steals the show. But there's still good chemistry between the other leads, Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett Smith, and I've completely forgotten the other lady's name. So apologies. Um, yeah, I know. I, I, this, but this Regina Hall. Sorry, I said it Regina in the Hall. Yeah, yeah, Regina Hall. Regina Hall. Um, that's not to say that I don't have my issues with this film. I think this. I think we may disagree on one of them, but probably agree on agree on the end bit. I think. Think if there seems to be for some reason in every American comedy film at the moment, whether the film is actually sort of labelled as a gross up comedy or just a comedy, there seems to be an obsession with having for my money anyway, an, an unnecessary and painfully unfunny gross-up scene. Snatch did it. Uh, this does it as well. And the gross-up scene, I just, for me, didn't fit. Um, I don't think, I think you quite liked it, but it just didn't work for me. Dude, like, I don't want to sound like I'm just like a broken record here, but the reason that scene passes for me, and I'm not, <laughs> and I'm not going to like give away what happens, but no. you, you know, you, you'll know when you see it, yes. uh, is because the second run at that bit of sort of visual comedy is a Tiffany Haddish bit. Well, yeah. And the very idea that Tiffany Haddish gets to be in a scene where she gets to do that thing, kind of, to me, was a win. Fair so, so Fair yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I don't think it always works. I'm not the biggest fan. Uh, well, oh, God damn it. I saw Snatch this week, and that tapeworm bit in Snatch... This is, this, is, this is what it reminded me of. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's but, kind of what it reminded me of. And I just don't, I just don't think it was needed. Yeah, um, but yeah, that aside, let's, you know, let's not get sidetracked by it, because... Save for that issue, possible issue, and I think a overly dragged out and slightly sentimental and sugary ending. There's so much more to say, I think, about the positives in this film. Yeah, and I think it, it's it's consistently funny. It's it's the most I've laughed in the cinema in a while. I said I, I I will just talk a little bit about the the ending, and then we can go back to the positives. I think the last half an hour was quite tepid. Um, I just think what frustrates me is with a more stringent edit this, I mean this film clocks in I think at just over two hours if it had been 90 minutes I think it would have been fantastic and for me it's a shame that, that there wasn't a more stringent edit exists 
But that being said, what's good here is very, very funny. And I had, a, for the most part, a very, very good time in the cinema watching this. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just great to see that, like, here we've got like African-American women, not fairly entitled, fairly privileged white guys yes. who are generally, like, the central quartet or trio or whatever who go out and get smashed up and, oh, it's crazy and there's cocaine and hookers and all that sort of stuff that we've seen over and over and over and over again. But here, like, these women are having so much fun. And also, like, they're not... 25 years old no and they're financially secure as well for the you know right. which works which but, really but makes a difference the actresses you know. getting these roles yeah. aren't just yeah, like the same I quite like the film um, Bad Mums albeit I think all Caucasian I'm not sure it doesn't really matter but like again maybe skewing slightly younger but still giving women roles where they don't have to be like you know laddish or like gross out or like pushing an envelope they don't have to be like 21 25 no. years old at all I mean no. um, yeah Regina Hall I think is in her mid 40s but she's having a fucking great time yeah. here. I mean yeah so much so much to like and even like little things you get they go to like a scuzzy hotel in the beginning right because they're going to go large in yeah. New Orleans so they're going to get this like amazing hotel because they've got the money and like you say they're sort of financially independent or there's maybe a secret one of them has yeah. then they can't get that that sort of falls through and they get put in this sort of flea bitten horrible little place yeah. and um, on the scrawled on the wall of one of the places that they are or that place where they're staying is Thug Life which is obviously a reference to Tupac Shakur yeah. knowing that Jada Pinkett Smith and Tupac Shakur are childhood friends and this all came up in All Eyes on Me recently and you know her sort of thoughts on that yeah. film like those little things as well sort of pressed buttons mm. that just like made me feel good and feel a lot of um, yeah a, a lot of good feedback towards all the people who were involved save for like you say maybe not quite bringing this in, thing into dock in the sort of official yeah. way they might have done but like, yeah. I think that's such a small thing compared to like how we should just be championing a film like this because it's not just stupid it's not just the same thing over and over again um, and it doesn't have Amy Schumer in it so no. you know, I said the, the, problems I, the problems I have with it certainly don't spoil it and I would you know I'd still I would still firmly firmly recommend it I said it's, it's a lot of fun it's very, very funny. And now, I guess, it only leads us to see Rough Night and how that compares. Because like, yeah. it seemed like when those two film trailers came out, it's like they've done a very-ish similar yes. thing. And this with Scarlett Johansson trying to prove yeah. that she's funny. So we'll see. But I have a feeling, if I was going to put money on it, that you know the horse that I'm backing is, is this film, Girl's Trip, not right. that one. Yeah, we'll see. we shall see. I'll be, it's a very, very interesting, interesting time. Um, that pretty much brings us to the end of the show, I think, doesn't it? Uh, I think it does. I almost did a flossy posse uh, salute to you. There, you did. Paul, I think right? that's what you were trying to do, but then maybe you re- realised that you're not in the flossy posse. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm no. Our own stranger. You should see the stranger in the cinema Christmas party. That's uh, things. Things get real. Yeah, we just talk about uh, like things needing a tighter edit and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> in, in like a hand yeah. sign, like our own show. A, a maybe, scissors. But, yeah. A scissors yeah. with the hand. That's what it is. But yes. Anyway, we were trying to end the show. So you, yeah, you can find us on uh, strangers, strangers cinema at strangers cinema on Twitter. Stranger in the Cinema on Facebook, Stranger in the Cinema at gmail.com. Just Google Stranger in the Cinema and you can find us. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, some reviews, possibly, well, probably Detroit, I think, which we are probably catching up. I think Detroit and Atomic Blonde, Pete. If that changes. Detroit we'll and Atomic know, Blonde but... sounds like a fantastic combination. Yes. I'd be really excited. So we'll to be those. back next week with feature reviews of those and all your usual other features. So for now, though, thank you for listening and it's goodbye from me, Paul. Yeah, don't be a stranger. Shut up and sit down.